great song and reminder that God is for us, it's for you. Uh, pretty neat to bring together a blessing from the book of Numbers chapter 6 given by Aaron, brother to Moses, um, and a prayer offered by uh, a Celtic saint, Saint, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, anyway, an Irish saint, Celtic saint, uh, who has St. Patrick's his name, yeah, so St. Patrick, or Patrick's Day, right, should be able to remember that, uh, has this prayer called St. Patrick's Breastplate, go look it up, it, it brings all that together, and now here we are in 2020, uh, during a time of difficulty, and he's blessing us and reminding us that God is for us. Um, so as we prepare to come to the table this morning, uh, let's remember where we've been. We have been journeying through the travelogue, chapters 9 through 19 in the Gospel of Luke, moving as Jesus does from Galilee, which is home, which is comfort, which is familiar, through Samaria, through this middle section, this travel narrative, on the way to Jerusalem, to victory, uh, to the crisis, the cross, and to the victory of the empty grave. We've likened this time in between um, to our journey from pre-COVID-19 through pandemic, this difficult, unwelcome, strange, hard place. On our way, ultimately, to victory, we've likened this to our Christian lives, where we come to know the Lord and are taken out of our familiar routines and into this life of discipleship, which uh, is wonderful, but is also challenging, which um, takes us out of our comfort zone and tosses us into the dramatic life with Jesus in the spirit. Uh, we are on our way to victory where we shall see God face to face. That's where we've been. That's where we are now. And that's where we're going. As we make our way to the table, one of these means of grace that God gives us along the way to strengthen us, to provide for us, uh, to care for us join us to himself as we make our way here to this table let's first go to the lord in prayer father son and holy spirit you are good and your steadfast love endures forever and we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you O god our rock and our redeemer we pray this in the name of christ our lord and savior the one who does not pass us by the one who welcomes us to his table amen Sunday morning. It's one of the means of grace. Prayer is one of the means of grace. It's one of the means of grace as we gather together. God's people come to worship him corporately together so that we can uh, both receive and give blessing to one another and be a mutual encouragement. It's a Sunday morning. When I was a kid, my Sunday mornings had a familiar routine. We get up, eat breakfast, go to Sunday school, 10 o'clock, go to worship at 11 o'clock, gather with God's people, sing praise to him. Uh, gather around the word, receive the supper. And then, after worship, we would walk out to our grandparents' car, my sister and I, we'd climb into uh, Granny and Granddaddy's Buick LeSabre, uh, which eventually I would, I would chauffeur Granny back to her house. But in the beginning, I sat, you know, with Granddaddy in the front seat. And we go to her house for Sunday dinner. And Granny grew up uh, feeding uh, a big family on the farm, eight brothers, uh, three meals a day. She could put the food out. We'd come, we'd gather around this great banquet feast. We'd uh, fill ourselves, we'd enjoy fellowship, time, family time together. 
I learned quickly uh, she made amazing biscuits. Not the big biscuits, the sort of medium size. I could line my plate with eight biscuits. <laughs> I'd do half with butter and half with honey. Inevitably, I would be put to the test. Um, at some point, Granny would ask me how much weight I had lost in the last week. She was convinced as a teenager I wasn't gaining, I was always losing weight, and so she wanted me to take seconds and thirds. Uh, we would gather with God's people in worship. We would go to Granny's house for Sunday dinner. I'd be put to the test. Luke 14, the opening reminds me of that. Jesus, on the Sabbath, goes to the synagogue to worship with God's people. And after worship, after they gathered around the word, he's invited to somebody's house for Sunday dinner. A Pharisee invites him over. He invites Jesus. He invites other Pharisees, other scribes, other teachers of the law, other peoples of prominence, significance, honor in that community over to his house for Sunday dinner where they could sit around, enjoy a feast, enjoy one another's company, and maybe just maybe put this Jesus guy to the test. Test is, can you heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? He answers their question in a way that puts them all to shame. Of course. And then Jesus proceeds at this dinner, uh, as he's been welcomed into this home, he tells three parables. Remember, we're journeying through Samaria. Jesus is telling stories to help us figure out how to navigate the space. He tells three stories. The first one he addresses, the parable he addresses to the guests who comes. The next parable he addresses to the host who's welcomed them. And the third parable he offers up to all who have come. The first parable to the guests. As, as they come in, apparently Jesus sees them um, beginning to elbow one another out of the way, trying to come to the place of prominence, the place closest to the host. Uh, they're jockeying for position. All the important people who have come, they're trying to get the place of honor. Jesus tells the first parable, he says, hey, if you get invited to a wedding feast, sound familiar given the context, you get invited over, don't try to get the seat of honor. Instead, humble yourself and go take the seat that is less significant. It is far better for you to take the seat that is less significant. Have the host see you and ask you to stand up and come to a seat more appropriate to your station and to receive honor before the people in that way than for you to try to go take the seat of honor, have the host see someone else a little more significant than you come and sit next to him and have you stand up and move down the table and receive shame. You can see the logic. But he's also telling us what it's like in the kingdom. This is what he says at the end. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The gift of humility. The call to humility. That's what he gives to those who hear on the journey through Samaria. The church has said that humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. All the other beautiful aspects of of what it means to live a spirit-filled, spirit-transformed life. Humility is where it starts. Pursue that is the call. If pride is the problem, human beings bent in on themselves, trying to live a life apart from God, God to ourselves, then if pride is the problem, humility, the opposite, is the beginning of that healing for you. It's a parable about generosity. True, real 
real generosity. He's invited so many people over to his house, but they're all the important people, aren't they? All the significant people, aren't they? All the people who are just spending their time swinging elbows, trying to make room for themselves next to the host, the place of honor. Jesus says, don't invite all of the rich, all of the people um, who can do something back for you. Don't invite them over this week because next week they're just going to go offer you a great feast at their house. Invite those who can do nothing for you in return. The poor, the destitute, the lame, the weak, the blind. Invite them to your house. That's what true generosity looks like. It's a hard teaching. How much in my life do I truly do for someone else with no expectation of return? I kind of shudder to think how little that actually is. Or, in doing good, I at least can receive the good feeling I get, right? From having done that service. Am I worried about them or me? Hard teaching. Humility, generosity, the first two parables. But guess what? It's a hard teaching. And yet, Jesus isn't just preaching. He's practicing what he preaches. Who is the one who's practiced true humility? Well, the one who has sat with the Father in the eternal glory and wonder and splendor of the Trinity and the triune life, which needs nothing else. Jesus has come and taken up a seat with us, hasn't he? Who wander through this Sumerian uh, passage, this fallen life. He came, he was born in a manger. Take the less significant seat. He didn't come as a rich and prominent, he didn't come as a prince. He was a carpenter's son. Swung a hammer. He was poor. When his parents took him at the appropriate age to the temple to, de to dedicate him, they didn't offer the more expensive offering for their firstborn. They had to offer the one, the two pigeons that was more common to those who did not have great means. Jesus practices what he preaches. He's hung between two criminals. He practices what he preaches. He calls us into the same life. He practices generosity. He, Jesus welcomes us to his table. We who truly can do nothing in return for him, we can't give him anything that he doesn't already have. And yet he welcomes us. The poor, the lame, those bent in on themselves. And he gives us a place of honor. To get the humility, to get the generosity, the last parable, he, he speaks to everyone who can hear Jesus is a master teacher. Today, he gives us the chance to hear about humility, about generosity in the kingdom, what it means to walk with him, and then he gives us a chance to practice it. He says in this parable, that a man prepared a feast, prepared a banquet, invited all his friends, folks who could, I, I guess in one sense, pay him back for something. One man says, ah, I can't really come. Uh, I just bought a field. Got to go check it out. Another man says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to have to tend to them. Another says, I just got married. Maybe there's a hint of wisdom there. I can't come, right? <laughs> Everybody's got an excuse. The man who's laid the feast out tells his servants to go out beyond the wall and to, to welcome those in who are poor, who are destitute, who are lame, who are blind, who are weak, and fill the table. They do, and there are still seats left. The servants tell the host, and he says, go out 
to the highways and to the byways and to welcome people into my table, all the seats shall be filled. This morning, Jesus shows us that he's the one. He's the host who welcomes everyone to his table. And we're the ones who get to practice humility. Sure, there's plenty of excuses that we could offer up as to why we do not want to come. Lots of business we got to attend to. Lots of things we have to do as we're playing God to ourselves. But we can practice humility this morning. That's the invitation in recognizing that we actually are the poor and the blind, those who have been bent over and turned in on ourselves, the ones God needs to straighten out. And he does that by offering us this means of grace at his table. His very life, that's what the gospel is about. Not just forgiveness, but about actually coming to share the life of God and it happens as he gives us his body and his blood. There's a traditional part of the liturgy of the Lord's table that says, the table is set and all are invited. Kind of like this parable. Table set, all are invited. And the people say together, therefore let us keep the feast. You want to try that? table set, all are invited, therefore let us keep the feast. Table set, all are invited, therefore let us keep the feast. Let's keep the feast. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And